Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast episode about childhood and parenting as an Asian American with Dr. Ellen Wong. Dr. Ellen Wong was actually born in Brazil, but was raised in Taiwan until the age of 15 years old. And for a better opportunity, she, her mom, and her brother came to the States. Her father remained in Taiwan in order to continue to support them financially. Her whole family was not fluent in English when they arrived here. Her initial years were tough trying to assimilate, but now she is a pediatric dentist and a practice owner with her husband, David, who is a general dentist. They have two lovely girls, Audrey and Claire. I hope you enjoy our conversation about her Taiwanese upbringing and her immigrant experience in America, and now how she feels about parenting her Asian American daughter. Thanks, Ellen, for joining us today to talk a little bit about your upbringing and your childhood. I know that you are an Asian American, but you are an immigrant. So just a little bit information about Asian Americans is that they're the fastest growing minority group in the U.S. They consist of lots of different cultures, beliefs, languages. They have different foods, religions, but there's five main large groups in America that are um, considered Asian. So Chinese, Vietnamese, Filipino, Korean, and Asian Indian. But the thing is, is those five groups are just not all that consists of Asian Americans. There's other groups like Bangladeshi, Pakistani, Thai, Sri Lankan, Japanese, and Taiwanese. So I know, Ellen, you are an immigrant. And tell me a little bit about your identity. Where did you grow up? Where were you born? Yeah, of course. And thank you so much for having me here. It's a very special opportunity. And I am very grateful for an opportunity to share my uh, perspective and uh, while, you know, my viewpoint is mostly my own experience, it may, you know, resonate with some of my pure Asian Americans, but it may be different, you know, among us also. I'm excited to talk about it. So a quick rundown of my background is that I grew up in Taipei, Taiwan, but actually there's always a fun fact about me is that I was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil, but I didn't grow up there. So Anyways, my mom, my younger brother and I, we lived in Taiwan until when I was about 15 years old. That's when we immigrated to the U.S. And uh, my dad, he actually stayed back in Taiwan to work in order to financially support our family. None of us were fluent in English when we first moved here. We were first generation immigrants. What are your daughter's names? My daughters are Audrey. She'll be six this month. And Claire, she's currently three. And you have a husband, David, and how did you guys meet? We met in dental school. And uh, David, uh, he is from Shanghai, China. Okay, so, um, and both of your parents live, where do they live currently? My parents, they live in Las Vegas. My mom, she flies between U.S. and Taiwan, where my dad stays here most of the time now. And David's parents actually live with us here in Texas. (laughs) Uh, so they've, and they've been in America for a few years or? They have, yeah. They actually moved here maybe like in their early 2000s. So they've been around here and they've stayed here most of the time. Okay. And so as you guys are all Taiwanese um, Americans, um, do people assume a lot about who you are and your family's identity? Do they assume you're a specific type of person ever? 
Yeah, there were definitely things that were assumed of me or my family based on our Asian appearance. And I think it's understandable because we naturally assume things based on what we know, which can be very little. In the um, in the more recent years with, you know, Trump being in office and his like interactions with China, do people just assume things about you when you're around? Did that affect you at all since there's been this new climate around Asian Americans? I definitely have read about the new story about how Asians were sort of targeted negatively. And while the whole uh, Trump you know, we had a lot of like messages from our families in Asia to tell us to be careful to go outside and things like that. I mean, I personally didn't experience it firsthand. Well, but but there was a news about how someone got attacked because of that. And that is in Texas. So it, it was kind of real, but luckily we didn't experience it firsthand. Being from a different, you know, country, you have a different language, and then you trying to learn the, the new language of this this country, um, being in America, learning English and not being fluent. I can imagine that that probably affected your ability to communicate when you first came here at 15 years old. So, I mean, the research study shows that Asian American children generally deal with a lot of bullying mainly because of their immigrant status, their accent, being considered a teacher's pet because Asians are known to be like, you know, the high achieving students in class. So they're generally bullied in school. Did you deal with any of that when you were first coming here, dealing with like, you know, different language and all? And was there any bullying that you encountered? Yeah, so I think that this, um, this, you know, assumption of that Asian might be bullying school. It's actually a very, I I can't say that that would apply to every single Asian, because I think that um, if you, if, if you were to move to a community where there's very little Asian, I think that there is a, seem to be a higher chance for you to be alienated because you're only you and and you only there's nobody else that you can relate to. I have her story that, you know, it's very hard, but as for me, uh, when we first moved here to the U.S. in 2002, we lived in Los Angeles, California, where there were many, many more other immigrants that we could relate to, in addition to the already mature Asian American community. So fortunately, our transition wasn't totally dramatic. There were plenty of Asian grocery stores, restaurants that I can go to, and I can even buy like Chinese magazine in a like nearby to our house. So it's, it, I think I was fortunate enough to be in that environment when I first moved here. But as soon as I started school, I, I was a sophomore in high school when I first moved here. And I, in the first few days, I immediately learned a new word, FOB, F-O-B, fresh off the boat, which is a term describing new immigrants who dress or act differently and speak English with funny accents. And that's, that's one of the first few things I learned and I didn't know that's, that's a thing. And so a memory I had with the word fob was that during lunchtime, there was a table or section for fobs and other cool American kids don't necessarily want to sit too close to these sections or to be seen hanging out with fob kids. But because there were so many of us in my school, it wasn't isolating to be fob. And, but it, it did feel like I needed to do something in order to kind of shake off that fob tag. Indian culture, we use the word fob as well. It's very commonly associated with the ones that like, 
kind of have like the slicked back oily Indian hair, like like in like kind of more like not, you know, stylish clothing, you know, they smell because they generally don't wear any deodorant or they smell like Indian food. So (laughs) very stereotypical fob like look and just yeah. Definitely. I, you know, I remember that I wanted to fit in, right? Because I'm trying to understand, like, what's the difference between FOB and non-FOB, you know, because we're all Asian, right? In my school, there are actually a lot of Asian, a lot of Chinese, a lot of Indians. And so, like, Asian faces are not rare in the school, but there is still a tag of, are you FOB? Are you not FOB? You know, kind of thing. So I try to examine how my American peers dress and see if I can do the same. But I think in the end, I felt like I look myself the most in my Asian clothes. So I just kind of stuck with it happily, Um, especially, you know, I was still missing home and like, you know, the stuff that I used to wear. And so um, that's what I did. But and actually, there were people who were impressed with how I dress because they've never seen like the stuff that I wear before. And they some of them really like it. They think it's really cute or like, you know, these little crazy like accessories that, that, that people in Asian countries that we have um, those were actually kind of interesting to my peers the social life though as an immigrant was definitely very limited because of the language barrier i didn't know how to respond in a cool way to impress people i didn't laugh at jokes because i simply didn't get it or i made comments that people don't understand because certain things just get lost in translation in my head and so Part of me really wanted to uh, be able to fit in into the American social circle, but at first it was very, very hard because I just can't even catch what they were saying. And so, one thing that we talk, I've talked to you about, is the fact that when you grow up as originally in one country, you learn that language, and then you come to this country, and now everything's in English. The fact that when you first grow up, you're learning in a language, that means all your thoughts are in that language. So when you're coming here, are your thoughts still in a different language? What language are they in? And then do you have to generally translate into a different language? And um, even with this prepping for this interview, you and I talked about that a little bit. So explain how that can be hard sometimes, especially when you first came here and it's being your first, you have to study and go to school. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think till this day, I've, I think I've been in the States for 18 years or 19 years this year. And I still kind of struggle between how how am I supposed to think? Do I think in Mandarin first or do I think in American? Like it's, this is especially hard in high school when we have to write essays. Like I don't even know how to start. I don't know how to form a nice long sentence beyond, you know, one subject, one verb and you know, like just, you know, I eat apple versus I eat a very delicious apple. Like, you know, it's just a very different way to dress a sentence. And so like English classes were very challenging, not only because of just the new language, but also I just don't even know how to think sentence after sentences. And so now, like if I have to, let's say if I, ha- if I need to have a meeting with somebody, I have to write out my whole script before I'm ready to talk because if I think on the spot, I will kind of forget where I was or like kind of just cannot even finish my sentence. I have to like write it out and that's how I get comfortable. And that's a lot of work before I can actually do the actual thing. 
And something I want to point out is you're a pediatric dentist. So that means you went through high school here, college here, dental school here, and you're a pediatric dentist. So you have, you have to do two years of residency. So you have to take all those tests, all of those, like, you know, um, essays to get into all those schools, go to all those interviews and English being your second language, just having that comprehension be a little bit more challenging. That makes it really hard for you to achieve all those layers of schooling. So that's extremely impressive. And since me and you went to residency together, I was always impressed by a lot of things that you did. Uh, we just had a really group of good friends that just yeah, were very, thank you. you know, really just hardworking. And I really do. That's something that for you to go through that much schooling and to succeed. And now you're a practice owner. So even as a practice owner and you're communicating with your employees and your patients, you have to have that extra challenge of like kind of thinking in two different languages. Yeah, definitely. I, I find myself that, you know, in my early years of education in the States, I actually try to uh, copy what people say and just kind of remember how to say, say things the same way the next time this comes up. Like I would remember phrases from maybe, you know, my peers joke. So I know how to answer, you know, when this joke came up again, like I purposely try to, learn how people talk so I can kind of be more, a little bit more Americanized in my English. And the same thing, like, like if I have to make an announcement to my employees, I need to make sure that I have a very clear point and I need to like write it down very good so I can probably communicate what I truly want them to hear. And so, and that's the thing, did you ever watch any movies or TV shows when you were in high school, like to try to help you to get better at your English or listen to music or did anything like that ever help? Yeah, I think in high school, I, I wasn't able to watch any TV shows because my English was too bad. Like I could not understand it without putting Chinese subtitles on. And at that time, it's, we didn't have the subtitles often that much. I mainly was, I think I, I still started off watching shows uh, that had like Chinese subtitles, like English shows with Chinese subtitles, which are like some of the much more famous one, or even just some movie that actually sh are uh, are showing in the, in Asian countries. Mm -hmm. um, I listen to music and I think music does help me out a lot because it's a very simple way to learn, you know, phrases and you know, and then also I feel like lyrics tend to have more emotion than essays. So I think it's a little bit more useful when you communicate with people. So yeah, did you, when you were coming here, like you're learning about all this new culture, music and everything, you know, tell me about your Taiwanese upbringing before you came to, you know, the States. How was that? I think that I'll, I'll talk about education standpoint. Um, when I first came to US and I started high school, one big difference I noticed early on is that the PE class in this in the high school in the US is serious. Like they want you to do those like laps like under a certain amount of time. Like no joke, if you don't do it, you're gonna get, I don't know, a bad grade, you're gonna fail. And that is not a thing in Taiwan. I mean, I mean, I never went to high school in Taiwan, so I, I guess I can't say. But from what I remember from middle school, PE class is kind of like the filler. So usually our PE class sometimes gets canceled when we have a big tests coming up. Towards the end of the uh, semester ends, there's finals coming up. We have to study during PE class. Or like if a teacher got sick and they need to make up a lesson with us, then they cancel our PE class. And so PE really isn't an, you know, an ability they really 
try to teach us in, in Taiwan, at least from my own personal experience. But in here, you know, they really want you to be able to run, be able to, you know, participate in sports. And, and if you can do it, they give you a lot of, you know, uh, encouragement. It builds your confidence and all that. But I struggle so much with that at first. That's a huge thing in Indian culture too. Like my cousin came here when she was in high school from India and PE was like her most dreaded class because they didn't yes. That's something a, like a thing in India, really. And <laughs> yeah. not like Indians are winning any Olympic medals massively. <laughs> like we're just yeah. not athletic people. So like my, co- my cousin was not happy about <laughs> PE class for her either. So was there yeah. any other differences in American like culture in like your childhood with school, like with classes or anything like that, or social situations, dating was anything like different when you were younger in Taiwan versus here? Um, I think that generally because of the difference in upbringing, um, I find that American kids are more overall more confident on average, more confident, more comfortable of being expressive, unique and funny. You know, you know, they're actually um, comfortable in, you know, being themselves. Whereas in Taiwan, I feel like in a class setting, when you're too loud in class, if you're being funny or being dramatic, you might get written up or punished for disrupting the the flow of the class. And so we're actually kind of taught to be quiet because it shows maturity or, you know, we need to be disciplined in order to excel. So to me, it's quite opposite. So when I first moved here, I find people generally seem more comfortable with themselves, with how they you know, how, how they want to raise their hand to answer a question in class. Like in Taiwan, I feel like if a teacher asks a question, only maybe one to two people out of a group of 40 will actually raise their hand to talk. But in U.S., like when you have a class, somebody asks a question, there will be like probably at least 10 people out of 20 kids that raise their hands. And that's something I was very uh, impressed because I just thought that, oh, you know, most of us don't really talk in class, even when we're asked a question. But in here, you're encouraged to, to talk about how you feel about certain things, even if your answer isn't, you know, completely polished, but you're still encouraged to express yourself. And I think that's one thing that was very different. Do you like, is that something that you'll probably like really encourage with your daughters? Do you, is that something that you yourself have implemented now you're a little bit more vocal than you were when you first came here? Yes, I think that, because I remember at first, it was very hard for me to consider raising my hand when I first moved here, because I'm just, I don't know what to say, or I don't know if what I say is important enough to be heard. So, but I, I definitely try to push myself a little bit more over time to try to you know, go like overcome that fear of, of being shy or to not about sharing my own opinion. So I try to push myself to answer some questions and, and sometimes, you know, it's good. Sometimes it's not so appropriate with my kids. I, I mean, they're still very little, so they haven't had a whole lot of experience in a group setting where they, they are asked to express their opinions over certain things. But in general, I, I definitely encourage my kids to, to to listen to a question and try to form an opinion, even if it's very little, because I think that it gets you to think about certain things from the very littlest thing. Are there any like cultural differences when it comes to, you know, girls and what's expected of like girls versus boys in Taiwan and how the 
how things were with the boys versus girls in America when it comes to like, you know, expectations in school, like what they're going to pursue in their life versus like social situations and dating and at home situations, what their roles are. Was there any difference there? Yeah, I think that traditionally in uh, Chinese culture, um, it's just generally that women might be sort of considered being more quiet or submissive. And it's it's a very traditional concept. And I, I can't say that is still the case at all, because I think in our generation, our, we, we've moved away from that slowly already. So, um, but, but this idea do still exist somewhere, especially in here. I think, you know, most uh, Westerners, they still learn about these very old ideas of Chinese culture, because that's kind of one of the things that's very unique. But however, I think that that's already kind of in the past. But in general, I feel like girls are definitely expected to be quiet, to be nice, be good. And then boys are kind of more allowed to to act up a little bit or be loud or to be just, I guess, more active and not sitting as quietly. That's similar in our culture. And sometimes being Indian American here, Indian women are supposed to be more quiet in Indian culture. But when you add the American culture, we're a lot more loud. So then it's hard to go back and forth between the two cultures. Like when I'm at home, I'm supposed to be submissive and quiet. But then at school, I'm supposed to have the confidence to raise my hand and talk. So like that difference sometimes because like the role of Indian women in Indian culture versus the role Mm -hmm. of uh, women in American culture is different and both are evolving with time, but Indian culture is more traditional. So I have yeah. issues with that. Yeah. So the other thing was the fact that like, okay, so you're, you know, growing up here at 15 and you've developed, you know, you're developing some American, you're understanding different ways of American life. Um, and like that me, you know, what ends up happening is the children of immigrants tend to adapt better than their parents do. And yeah. I know that you're technically an immigrant and your parents are too. And like, you guys are all here at the same time, but it's your kids that might see things differently and they're young right now. So you mm-hmm. might not be able to tell, but even between, you know, you and your parents, you were here at the age of 15. So you're more likely to have American culture in you mm-hmm. than your parents. Have yeah. you ever noticed like a difference between you guys when it comes to like incorporating an in culture or American culture into your lives? I think that, uh, are you asking more in terms of like my experience as a child or? Yeah, like when you were 15 and trying to like do American things, which were mm-hmm. your mom like kind of like, no, 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 that's not what we do. <laughs> you need to like, you know, follow what we do. Did, did that ever happen? Yeah, I think that, um, all the Chinese moms that bring their kids, immigrate with the kids to the States, there's actually a very popular saying is that like when, you know, when the kids don't behave, they will say that just because we move here in the U.S., it doesn't mean you get to behave like ABCs. And what does that mean, right? ABCs means American born Chinese. So that means that basically, you know, like Asian American. And so, because for us, new immigrants like we don't really consider ourselves Asian American because we're still Asian we just move here so I don't we don't feel accepted right away but 
at the same time, we were trying to learn about, you know, how are we supposed to be in this new country? And so there are definitely certain things that behavior that we experiment, like, you know, we try to be more expressive, try to raise our hand to talk and all that, which is very different. Um, but sometimes when, when it comes to dealing with your own parents who are totally Asian, it opens up, you know, obstacles or like, you know, we, we argue because of certain attitude, you know, certain attitude might be considered very normal in a American household, but in Chinese household, telling disrespectful, like you cannot talk back when you yell that, like when I talk to you, you have to stand here and listen versus some kids might, you know, some maybe, maybe other kids would have walked away, but when we're not, but we're not supposed to, it can be difficult to go back and forth between the two cultures sometimes. That's what I feel a lot of us end up doing is going, you know, like we're trying to understand the strict Asian way. And then the more like passive western way and then you're like going back and forth of like you know trying to enjoy the western parts of what the current country you're in but still stay true to your like culture and your heritage and the way your parents kind of see the world it is hard to go back and forth and you're like negotiating between like should i do this is this me this is really american you know and sometimes parents don't like when you go more on the American side of things. Right. <laughs> the other thing that we discussed was, the, and you talked about this earlier, was that when you came here, it was just your you, your brother, and your mom. And so your dad stayed in Taiwan. And so, and that's kind of a big part of immigrant stories that people don't talk about is that sometimes married couples or families will split up for the benefit of the family to kind of get to move the family forward. So, and and that could last for like one year, two years. I've in Indian culture, I've heard families stay separated for five plus years because the immigration process in America is so slow (laughs) that Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't have that chance to like live with each other because you have to wait for certain things to happen. So did, you know, having your dad stay in Taiwan, um, like affect you? Were you, did you miss him? Did it affect your mom? How, you know, being separated like that? What was it like? Yeah, most definitely. So my parents' marriage was totally sacrificed by this long-term separation. Um, We moved, uh, when we first moved, it was it was just the three of us. My dad is in Taiwan, and that was the plan from the very beginning. And and I don't know if what my parents had planned, but I, I can't remember for how long either, but it felt like they've been separated the whole time we we're in U.S. for at least 10 years. It, within the 10 years, of course, my dad would fly to the States to join us for holidays and things like that. But still, it's only a few days out of the whole year. Um, so I think that from... From what I can see, my parents, because of the separation, they, even though they argue a little less because they don't see each other, period, but at the same time, it took away their chance to, you know, amend or work out their problems. I feel like they, maybe they didn't really have a, uh, even though they didn't have very strong relationship before we immigrated here, but that separation kept them apart. And so eventually they, they did separate. Okay. And that's, to me, is people don't understand that sometimes the sacrifice people make is that separation, putting your family in this like really uncomfortable position that stretches it. And another thing that they sacrifice also is not necessarily just 
only their marriage, it's also their careers. Because when immigrant family make decision to move to the U.S., I mean, uh, for some people, you know, whoever stays behind keeps working and support the family financially. And while the one that moves with the kids must sacrifice their own career in order to do so. Because like my mom, um, she had a very good career when she, when we were in Taiwan. She, she had a wonderful job. She's a pharmacist in Taiwan and she works for big, you know, uh, farm corporations. So I, I remember she loves her job and she was very good at it. Um, but she dropped everything in order to come to the States with us. And I'm sure it was, it's not, an easy call because how could you give up something that you're so good at and to something new and start from zero? So what what drives her decision or her confidence that this is the way she want to take? And so and then, so I think that she um, bestowed that hope for a better opportunity in her children, which is me and my brother. That she believes that from her sacrificing her career at the time, it will give the two of us, me and my brother, a much better opportunity in the US in a bigger world. And so I think that drives her very difficult decision of dropping what she can do and gave it all to us. Because financially, that's not really the answer. She didn't come to US for a better job, for opportunity. She come here to make zero money, to raise two kids who don't know English and hope that they will somehow you know, continue academically so that they can reach the final destination of whatever it might be. And do you feel like your opportunities here were more promising than the ones in Taiwan? Uh, yes, actually, that um, I, I I do want to share that aspect of me. I definitely feel that because of immigrating to the states, I was actually able to have more opportunities than I thought I could have. I want to talk about how, how like in Taiwan, the education system is, is very different. In Taiwan, we will, like kids will, the kids study very hard in school in order to have a high score to enter into a good high school. And then if you're in a good high school, then you go to a very good university and to have a good major. So a good major would be, you know, obviously medicine, dentistry, and law or you know all the things that Asian people generally discard, re regard as you know highly respected and high income and all that. Um, but it's only one test that determine whether you make the cut or not. So in for high schoolers, um, even though you already went through very very good testing to go into a good high school, there is still another college entrance exam that determine whether you get to do what you like to do. So for kids that are in high school, which is, you know, age between 15 to 18, your, your life is going to be decided by the time you turn 18. If you're, if you're at that time, you are already very good academically, you can do whatever you want. You can do lawyers, you can be doctor, you can be engineers. If you're only good at language, but not so good at math, then go ahead and say bye to all the career involving any math and science. And so for me, I, when I was 14, I was in Taiwan. I actually was one of those kids that who are much better in language, Chinese culture, like just more of a literal, like literal art type of things. I'm more good at those. I'm very bad at math, very bad at science. And so at that time I was at 14, I decided that I'm just gonna pick a career that does not involve math and science. Like I was ready to give up, I was 14. And so that's the point actually when I finished uh, middle school, I moved to the States. So I kind of was given another opportunity to 
kind of diving again, what can I do? You know, I kind of had to start from zero. I had to translate my the textbook, the reading assignment. I tried to, and by doing that, by learning things again, I was actually felt like I was able to understand certain concepts better in math and science. And so my the opportunities for me to be in the healthcare profession is possible because I'm not so bad at math anymore. So pretty much coming to America was like your second chance. And I think that's true for a lot of immigrants is the country that gives them that chance that their own home countries couldn't, you know, couldn't or didn't give them for whatever reason. In India, it's the same thing. We, there's one test that determines, and like, if you're at the top of your rank, then you get, you know, engineer, doctor, lawyer. Um, And my dad, he worked really hard to try to become one of the top and only the top get into medical school. And he ended up being second and went into engineering instead. And like how it's so strict and like to get your, pull yourself out of your current circumstance is really hard unless you have money to bribe people, you know, in India. So that it is, America is for, especially in certain, from certain countries coming to here, it's just a better chance. And that's why a lot of immigrants work really hard to make something of this chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and then, like you said, it actually, I think moving here provides you the second chance, but whether you actually get it or not still comes with a lot of hard work. And I think that is a common story for immigrants in general is that everyone work very hard in ways that they can. Some of them, they, when, when we're immigrants, they're kids. So you go to school, you try to learn and try to study so you can get a good opportunities. Some of them, when they're immigrants, they're already adults. So they don't necessarily go to school, but they start working. They will start working in jobs that are only limitedly available. Like you have to work in restaurants or you know work in the service industry. And, and then slowly you make something out of it. And so it's a very common story that immigrants we know that we have to work hard and that's something we we signed up for. We know that we are choosing to change our life completely. And so we have to do things that we maybe didn't have to do before in order to make the most out of this chance. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, is since your mom was here alone and your dad was in Taiwan, she pretty much had to parent you here by herself, um, you and your brother, did she, you think, did she have any difficulties in trying to do this by herself in America? Yeah, most definitely. I think that for that period of time, when you have two kids, both in the teenage years, it's already going to be very hard, no matter which country you're at, whether you're in Taiwan, you're in US, I think naturally it's, it's a period of time that as a parent myself right now, I don't really look forward to the the, the year of teenage in order to parent. I just hope that, you know, maybe they're just more mild tempered. <laughs> but um, but for immigrants, teenagers, that is actually the time that you're trying to figure yourself out. Like, who am I? Am I, am I gonna, am I allowed to express myself? You know, because all my American peers are comfortable expressing themselves. They pursue what they like, what they talk in a certain way or have um, certain interests and things like that where, as maybe some of the things my parents would feel, you know, disapproved of, like, you need to focus on studying right now, no music, no art, no sports, go to your after school prep program, get SATs prep done and all that. So um, it was definitely a hard time. And on top of that, you know, the whole clash between being Asian American or just Asian only, 
you know, there's a lot of rules that are constantly being challenged. And so with um, that, you know, second chance, that's the mentality I feel like with immigrant parents is like, this is your chance. Nothing else matters. No, you got to study. Only grades matter. Put away, you know, the TV, put away the music, put away everything, study, study, study. And so I feel like, you know, with with immigrant parents that they're just like in that you need to work as hard as you possibly can to make this. The yes. Best, you know, yeah. this yes. made for our family ever, you know? Yes. And my mom, she, she actually took a step further as well. So when she moved with us, we, uh, me and my brother, we were, we were starting high school right away, but her, she didn't stop herself either. She also start, she enrolled herself into community colleges and start taking classes. And I, at that time, I didn't really understand why she would do that because she didn't have to, she didn't, have to make herself more homework assignment to turn in because she had to write essays too. And then I just don't get why she would carry on so much more stress when she didn't have to. But looking back at it, I think she did it because she wanted us to look at her as an example that she's working hard as well to try to um, to fit in into this new environment. Um, we are we are going to school, we're taking extra English lesson just to try to catch up with what we are missing. And she herself is doing the same. She's taking classes, she's getting her uh, pharmacist certification and, and she's doing it all. So now that you're a mom, I mean, you're, you know, still have access to your Taiwanese culture, you're, you know, but that's because you grew up there. Now that you have daughters here, what what is different about understanding them growing up as like true Asian American born and raised here? Do you think things are going to be different with them? What have you noticed with like being a parent and dealing with like their learning and early education? I mean, they're still very young, but I don't know how much you've thought about, you know, with the future with them. Yeah. So um, I think for my kids, um, luckily, because we live with my in-laws, so we we all speak Mandarin at home. So whether you learn our native tongue, which is Mandarin, is not really an option. You just have to. That's the first language they actually hear when they're when they're born. Even though they do still hear some English, but Mandarin is still mostly spoken at home. So that's one of the main things that we definitely expect our kids to learn Mandarin and especially in speaking, but they're so little, so they haven't really learned too, too much in any writing or reading at all. And I don't necessarily um, expect them to be able to do that very well, but I think that they need to at least have a basis of the language that they can they can speak into so they can communicate with people, even when they may not necessarily understand the written language of it. Um, another thing is I, I don't want them to, to, I guess I don't want them to miss out on the wonderful cultures that we have. So we do it through daily little things like the food we eat. We always eat Chinese food every meal. Um, sometimes we will do American nice things like pizza or um, fried chicken or things like that. But very rarely, most of it is like it's rice every meal and soup with some like stir fry vegetables. So we are more familiar with how to prepare those dishes. So, so I want them to be familiar with the taste and then and then that taste can be something that they are interested in and, you know, have more reason to love their roots. Do you, so I saw, do you have like an Instagram account that has like their meals 
like cute prepped. I don't know. I used to put <laughs> pictures of the meals. And that's the one thing about, you know, East Asian culture, they have an appreciation for creativity and art. And it's so cute to see how you prepare the little <laughs> of your daughters. Yes. I, that is bringing Asian culture, your Asian culture into their lives. I love that. Yes, I do. Actually, I have an Instagram account, which um, actually before the pandemic, my daughter was going to a daycare where they require us to bring in lunch. And, and actually, I chose it that way. I actually purposely look for a daycare that does not provide lunch. I'll definitely have to share it on my on my Instagram account, like the some of the pictures. You came here as an immigrant, like my parents, and technically, I'm more like your your daughter is being firstborn, you know, and raised mm-hmm. here. My mom used to put Indian food in our lunch boxes. <laughs> And you know, Indian food smells really yes. strong. <laughs> you know, immigrant kid coming to school and opening up my lunch bag, smelling like Indian food. Every all the and back then, like there weren't that many Indian people, so everybody around <laughs> would open up that lunch box, and everybody around would be like, "What is that smell?" And I would be so embarrassed. Oh my goodness! Never tell them because, like. Back then, kids, you know, you get bullied because you were different. You know, they never had smelled anything like that. It's not, (laughs) you know, peanut butter jelly sandwich smelling. Yeah. Now I'm like going to work so excited to show all of my coworkers my Indian food that I have. (laughs) Interested in it. But when younger, anything different than anybody else is weird. So it's kind of interesting because I'm going to, I want to hear you know, what, when I was younger, what I would tell my mom was like, mom, don't pack Indian food. Like I'd be so embarrassed. So I'm going to be curious to hear your stories about as you like pack your daughter's lunches and you put like, you know, some food in there. And she's just like, mom, don't pack this. This is not what I want for, you know, it's not. And you would get to trade with friends. Right. And no kid yeah. would trade with Indian food. So yeah, <laughs> yeah it's actually very interesting. Cause I, that, that's something uh, that I have heard about in these uh, Chinese mom making school lunch Facebook group that some some parents have shared that their kids, some kids ask their mom to make them lunch because they don't like eating the typical school cafeteria food because they're more used to their noodles and their rice and things like that. But the, I think those tend to be the older kids who are truly picking food for taste. But when you're little you're just you don't want people to pick on you so you wanted to have something normal something the same you know just two pieces of white toast with ham and sliced cheese or something very simple like that is so that way they don't get you know isolated in some way um yeah and i remember there was a uh, there was a uh, memory i had when uh, one of my one of one of those days when my daughter brought uh, dumplings to school, I, I made her dumplings and have her bring it to school for lunch. And actually, I think other kids wanted some too. They recognized dumplings, so they were all saying that they wanted some dumplings too. So I think that in in you know the newer generation, maybe things won't be so hard because um, Chinese food are, are definitely more accepted now, and people don't necessarily pick on it in a, in a bad way. And you know, maybe it could be easier and people are more open to different options. Because I think it's more readily available, like all the different cultural foods, especially in like major cities and stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of them are way more like open to it. So that's one good thing. And then another thing is with uh, with my kids, I, I try to play Asian pop music when they're around me in my car. 
I make them listen to those different tunes or different uh, lyrics. So, uh, and sometimes I play some very old, slower songs so they can actually hear the words. And, and my daughter, she has been able to sing a song or two, just copying the lyrics because she can speak some Mandarin and she recognizes those phrases and she's able to sing along. And that's something that I was very happy to see. Music is a great way to introduce kids to the culture that like their parents are from. Yes. Everybody can dance to it. And even if I didn't even know what half the words meant, but we all just sing them, even if we didn't even know what they meant. Yes. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, Some of the other things that I found in my research was that a lot of Asian Americans, because the culture is so different than here, they deal with a lot of mental health issues. Um, because it's like they don't fit into American culture, they don't fit into their parents' culture. There is like this big, like in between kind of like they don't feel like they fit in, you know, anywhere. So, you know, assimilating here, did you deal with any mental health issues or even for your mom? Did she or your brother deal with any of these mental health issues? And in general, what I also found was that. Asian Americans won't look and seek mental health um, professionals because it's hard to find people that can relate. So finding another Asian American therapist that can understand your situation kind of makes it a little bit harder. And if you don't speak the same language, that can be an issue. So did you guys deal with any of that? Were you... Yeah, I think that immigration, immigrating to a different country definitely introduced several problems that you know end up becoming mental mental health problems for immigrants um for one is just the loneliness that you're away from family friends that you are close to that you guys are facing very different challenges now so your family back home can't understand the problems you're having um, and the people that you're around don't understand your challenge because they live very differently so it feels like you are on your own with your problems and um there are people there there are some people that you can still talk to but to some degree i feel like in the in 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 the us it, if you're an immigrant you're kind of expected to kind of find a solution yourself otherwise you are not going to succeed so a, a lot of problem feels that like you have you're on your own you have to try some ways to make it work in order to meet the expectation of some so that's one thing and another thing is just that i think like what you mentioned mental health care is just not a, a very common thing people seek out to. Um, for one, it's it's already pretty hard to find a family physician that is very fluent in Mandarin or any Asian language, right? I mean, some might be more common, but still in general, um, I would say most Asian communities, they, they don't necessarily have um, enough um, doctors that speak their language. So a lot of them don't end up going to doctors until it, they're like sent into the hospital because they, they can no longer wait. Um, that language barrier causes a problem. And especially when mental health, what it, when it requires so much on communication, truly expressing, understanding the, the thoughts and concern. I think that for immigrants in general, that we already assume it's, we're not able to communicate very well to what our truth um, struggle is to doctors. So we naturally don't even think about getting help when it comes to mental health issue. We just kind of maybe bury it somewhere and keep working, keep doing it until, you know, the problem goes away or until it gets even worse. And then we really are in a dark place. And that's the thing is a lot of people assume that Asian Americans just are okay. Cause there's this 
uh, myth called the model minority myth. And it pretty much stereotypes Asian people as just being very successful. They're known to be usually doctors, lawyers, engineers. And so since that is kind of like the understanding, they don't believe that Asian people struggle at all. Did you ever like deal with the fact that like, you know, people assuming that you're fine and there's nothing, you know, you guys really, you and your family don't really have any major problems. The true part is that yes, many Asians are doctors, engineers, and we have a job with stable income. But the false part is that there are, I have heard many stories and uh, experiences a, a, a part of it myself that being Asians has affected our success in a certain way. For example, I have heard stories that it is harder for an Asian person to be considered into management or leadership positions when compared to another American person, just because somehow we don't represent leadership, even though that's entirely not proven. And, you know, I, I think that there is a stereotype of how leadership doesn't really ex exist in an Asian person. And I have felt like maybe there were some opportunities that I couldn't get because that even though I qualify on paper, but I don't qualify based on my appearance. So it wasn't, it was a lost opportunity. And so that's something that I was, that I'm hoping will be different. You know, the more people learn about diversity and that, you know, each, each type of person can be good at all the things in the same way or in different ways, but they can all be good in that position. Okay, so now that you're a mom of two daughters, let's talk a little bit about parenting um, as an Asian in America. Asian American moms are kind of known as Asian tiger moms. And it's compared to just the fact that like the Western parenting style is more relaxed where Asian parents are way more fierce and strong. Um, and I kept finding this multiple times in, uh, in my reading, especially a book called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom by Amy Chua. She, she mm -hmm. very much goes over like a lot of these like stereotypes of Asian families and what their expectations are. So was this a part of your parents' philosophy when growing up? Is this a part of your philosophy now as a parent? What are you doing? Like, are you bringing what your parents' philosophy of Taiwanese parenting in is with the Western style of parenting? How is that going for you? Yeah, so in Asia, children are taught to be unexpected to make the families proud by succeeding in life. And if you don't make them proud, then you are ashamed to the family. It's kind of extreme that you have to get there or you completely fail. That's kind of how it seemed like to me when I was little, it's extreme. And, and there's not a whole lot of emphasis about happiness or well-being of, you know, your career or your life. It's all about success, your title, your income, which fancy school did you go to, who you marry and stuff like that. And, and to me, you know, while it may sound very superficial, I, I think that it's not necessary that Asian parents are more uh, into academic or more superficial to the or materialistic about these achievements. I think that it goes back to where our parents' generation and then the generation before them, that at their time, academic and financial excellence is the only way to move up in society. So from their experience parenting us, it makes sense for them to instill 
an idea in their children early that you need to perform well academically so you can be financially comfortable, so you can be in a good place. And that's how you can make your family proud. And so we're taught very early that if you are very smart, you will become a medical doctor, and then there will be a doctor in your family, then your family will be proud. Or if you're not a doctor, lawyer is great too. There are some similarities between Asian and Western parenting styles because every parent's goal is to plan out the best for their kids, no matter what you know race you are, what ethnicity you are. But I, now that I'm a parent and living in the states for a big portion of my life, I I feel that Westernized parenting they have a little bit more emphasis on let the child be the child they're meant to be. Like let them explore their ability so that they are happy in doing what they are happy doing, and I think that is wonderful because it, this this trust that your child will um, have something that they're blessed with and they can do well with it takes a lot of confidence and courage to believe in this. In Westernized parenting, they they want to observe what this kid's interests are and then foster that interest into something that they are meant to be. And so I, as a parent, I definitely have the struggle of what is my fine line? What is my ideal parenting for my kids? Do I push them or do I observe? And it's probably because you saw two different ways. You saw the American way and the Taiwanese way, like the way your family, um, you know, introduce you, you had the first 15 years, and then you had a little bit after to learn American. And now you're like, well, I like this part of this culture and this part of this culture. Now, how do I bring those two cultures together to make sense for my kids, you know? Um, And that is something called bicultural socialization, which Mm -hmm. is to look at both cultures that you're a part of and come together to make a culture, a new culture, pretty much. And that would be the Asian American culture that you're developing and your daughters will grow up in. And it's actually the greatest thing about the research when it comes to this is they, it's actually associated with positive outcomes um, because they have higher self-esteem, positive racial and ethnic identities. Like they can identify with their American side and their Asian side. Um, They have motivation to achieve things. Their social situations are a little bit easier to handle. And it is the fact that you're adapting. You as a parent have decided, okay, I, I'm not all everything I learned from my Chinese Taiwanese culture. I'm also American. So let me learn a little bit about that culture and then bring them together so my daughters can feel comfortable. Um, so I think you're doing a great job. And so thank I you. You more questions. These are my yeah. last final three. Um, is um, what is something that you wished everyone would understand about being an Asian immigrant in America when it comes to your experience? Um, I think that one thing being an Asian American in America uh, as a child and also as an adult, it definitely gave me um, a good perspective of, you know, what different views people may have uh, to Asians. Are there any big misconceptions or stereotypes or anything about your culture that you kind of want to let people know that they're not really true? Yeah. So um, one thing that I had experienced with was that um, in my early years in the States, 
a lot of people don't necessarily know different types of Asian, right? They, they look at an Asian person and then they probably think you're Chinese, which there's a lot of us are Chinese, yes, for sure. But they are also Korean, Vietnamese, Japanese. A lot of time it's that people really don't know which Asian you are. And so they kind of just assume that you're what they, uh, what they assume you are. Like I remember um, when I was, when my friend asked me, you know, where I'm from, I said, I'm from Taiwan. It's a little island next to China. And friend would go, oh, I love Thai food. And in my head, I said, no, it's not Thailand, it's Taiwan. So would you mind if you had like, a parent at your daughter's school come up to you and ask you about your identity? Is that, would that be weird if someone started talking to you about that? Or would you like that they're curious? Absolutely. I actually really would like for people to ask, you know, what type of Asian are we? And I would be very happy to explain that we are, we are Chinese, we eat Chinese food. I'm from Taiwan. My husband's from China. I would give them my whole rundown of, you know, where we're from and things like that. And, and, you know, and I would be very happy to share culture with their kids who are non-Chinese as well, because I think it's just great for people to be exposed in different culture. It's very friendly for, you know, for you to give me opportunity to talk about where I'm from, because you're truly curious, you know? Yeah. And I always tell people, I just want people to be curious about my identity. I don't want them to be judgmental. I don't want them to, you know, assume things. I would just want them to ask questions and be curious and sometimes tell me, hey, I don't know. So I want to learn. So this is a question I have. My last question is, um, where, what, what do you hope for your daughters growing up as Asian Americans in this country? What do you hope for them? And um, do you have any expectations or hopes for them? My hopes for my daughters growing up as Asian Americans are to be culturally competent in both their Asian roots and also their Western environment and social circles. I want them to have Asian friends, but also friends with different cultures and racial identities to broaden their view of the world. And I think this is possible in the U.S. And actually, it's a blessing in the U.S. that the diversity of races and cultures already exist, as opposed in Asian countries, foreigners compose a much smaller part of the population. So if you're in an Asian country, if you want to learn about other culture, it's not as easy because they're rare to be, to be found. But in, in U.S., like it's not hard for you to find, you know, like in a group of people, some Indian and some uh black people, some white people, you know, you, you can talk to all kinds of different people and learn about their culture. And it's possible because we are diverse here. And I, I, I want my daughters who are Asians to, to know that they're Asians, but also know that they're not the only important race in the whole group. There, there are many, many more different races that are actually maybe similar or maybe different from them and be curious and to be open-minded to to learn about them. Because I think in the bigger picture, you know, through exchange of information, then we can learn about, you know, how each, how each culture does well with certain things and we can learn from each other and benefit from that. Well, thank you, Ellen, for doing this for me. It is not easy to have a whole conversation in English when it comes to like an interview style. So I really do appreciate that. I also want to say I, love your cute little family. I'm going to post pictures like I did with Jasmine's family. 
I'm really excited to see where your family goes and you guys live in Texas and have built like this, you know, great office. So I'm really happy that we got to catch up and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much.